0: What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay
1: ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape.
0: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Aaron Strout, host of the What to Know podcast show, also the CMO of W2O. And this is the first podcast we're doing in 2021. And it's only right that it's with someone as amazing as our new Head of i Marcia Windross. Welcome, Marcia.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, I am happy to have you here. And there are a few different things that we're going to talk about today because uh, not only are you new in this role, which we're thrilled about, but you and I were talking in December about the fact that January is National Mentoring Month, which I never knew. That's an mm-hmm. area that we want to focus a lot on. You've also written a book, which I think uh, is is worthy of some discussion. And then we have some other, you know, interesting questions as we go along. So with that, I usually like to start with people's background and mm-hmm. uh, you have what is a fairly logical progression. Not everyone has that. You are the head of DE&I at City. You are the senior director of DE&I D&I at ip and I know we use a bunch of different flavors of this. And now the head of DE&I at W2O. Let's talk a little bit about how you ended up in that position because you've done this probably a lot longer than many people have who, you know, over the last few years, we finally discovered that this is a really important role for companies Mm -hmm. to to create. Mm
1: -hmm. So let me clarify that I was the head of the EI of one of Citi's businesses, which was the middle markets group. Thank And how did I end up in that role? So early in my career... Um, I started out in um, human resources. Well, actually, let, let me step back a bit. I think I was a late bloomer. So I worked um, at a cruise line, and while working there, I had this amazing manager. And when I wanted to go back to school and um, you know get a degree, he was so open, and I was able to go back and did a degree in psychology, and then followed up with another degree um, at Columbia and focused on human resources management. So I started out um, as an HR manager for a retail company. Then I got um, recruited by the Home Shopping Network and worked as a executive recruiter there. And then later on um, was recruited by Citigroup where I started out in their investment banking arm as a senior recruiter and got a um, a note from my manager, um, I think after about a year or so that she needed to have a conversation. And in that conversation, she basically told me that uh, my numbers, my recruitment numbers were quite diverse and one of the most diverse in the company. And she wanted me to share what I was doing with my colleagues. And that started the first diversity council. I think about a year later, she um, asked me to replicate what I was doing in the investment banking arm at Citigroup um, Corporate College Relations. So I went over there and um, led DEI efforts and recruitment efforts to recruit uh, mid-level talent into Citigroup. I later got another ask by the chief diversity officer of the Global Consumer Group at the time to look at an to look at an opportunity as a diversity manager and a recruitment manager in your middle middle markets business. And I went over and interviewed, got that opportunity, and then was later promoted to be the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion in that business. And then from there, I spent a year or so at a a business called Bound, and then was recruited from Bound to work at IPG where I served as the Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion and supported all of IPG agencies.
0: Well, I love that journey. Yeah, that. thank you for sharing that. And that makes a lot of sense. Like I said, I have some guests, myself you know, included, that took sort of a topsy-turvy uh, route into where they landed. But I love the fact that you had that recruiting background. And I love the fact that they sought you out because they saw, lo and behold, the fact that you had these connections, right? That were probably more diverse than others. Mm-hmm. And so you had a, a broader field to recruit from. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what that means for W2O. And, and this isn't meant to be about W2O, but I know different companies have different mm-hmm. flavors of what diversity, equity, and inclusion mean. Even as I mentioned up front, some call it diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Some have now added the equity piece. Mm-hmm. All of it is really, I think, to focus on creating more diverse workforce, um, mm-hmm. I don't know as though people think about the recruiting aspect as much, but guess what? That's a critically important piece as you grow. And a lot of companies don't have as much diversity as they should or would like to have. And that's another way that you can, you know, obviously change the mix. So let's talk about your current remit at W2O. What does that look like as you understand it, since you're only, I think a couple months into the the job. A month and a
1: half. A month actually. and a half. <laughs> yes. And um, what that looks like uh, for me is to, really create an inclusive work environment, right, Um, where our colleagues can feel like they can be themselves. They can bring their whole selves to work. Um, They can be authentic. And authenticity leads to innovation because if you allow employees to speak up and to give their own perspectives, um, it leads to creativity and innovation. So we, I want to be able to work with um, the ELT and all of my colleagues to be able to create that environment where everyone can feel like they belong. It's, it's really about access, right? So being able to recruit diverse talent, being able to retain diverse talent, and all the talents that that's there, because diversity is not really only about you know, people of color and you know, about race and gender. It's really about everyone, everything that you bring as an individual to work, whether it's um, the, the age, sex, um, educational background, business background, the way you think, you know, diversity of thought everything makes up diversity. So it's being able to utilize and leverage all of that to create, to innovate and to ultimately impact the business.
0: Well, I love those things. And I hadn't really ever thought of that in terms of having that transparency and the ability to be creative. I have, you know, I know that there are studies and and stats that show that, diverse workforces and boards and leadership teams have better outcomes than non-diverse, but that's a really good way to zero in on it. I want to touch on something that leads into how we talked about having this podcast in the first place. And that is, you talked about recruiting, you talked about retaining. Um, What we didn't talk as much about was the growing of people, right? Which comes part and parcel with that. And that is things like mentoring. It's creating Mm -hmm. allyship. So people like myself can actually help, folks within the organization and feel connected to them. Let's start with like, what is the importance of, uh, well, what is National Mentoring Month? I had not heard of it before, so let's start with what is it and then how did you get involved with it?
1: So National Mentoring Month is really um, a month dedicated to having successful mentoring relationships, right? And what it is really is providing advocacy allyship, right? Research has shown that companies that have mentoring relationships um, are more successful, you know, because what you're, what you're doing when you're sharing information uh, with each other is that you are extending the knowledge base within your company, right? Uh, with each other, you know, across different um, dimensions of diversity, And it helps with knowledge transfer. So, and it also improves engagement. So there's um, a lot of advantages to having mentoring. You know, there's advantage where the mentor is, the mentee mentee is learning, the mentor is getting satisfaction and then is also learning from the mentee. So it's a win-win situation. The
0: the company wins, the mentor wins, and the mentee wins. As someone that's done a lot of mentoring, I 100% agree. I would love to get your take, though, because uh, I'm sure you've done a lot of this over time. How does someone get started, either as a mentee, someone that's actually going to uh, be mentored, or the actual mentor, say, I hadn't ever done that before, what's the best way to go about that process of finding someone that you either want to work with or that wants to work with you,
1: you know, well, you know, if you're in a company like W2O, um, you do some research, you look at the, the leadership team, um, to see what areas that you're looking to develop your skill sets. And then you simply approach that person, um, if you're afraid to approach you know, an executive, maybe you reach out to the diversity, equity, and inclusion department, or you reach out to HR. Um, the good thing is that we are looking to launch uh, mentoring initiatives here at W2O. We're gonna be launching Lean In Circles. Um, Jen is gonna be the executive sponsors, and we're gonna have those circles launch in February. We're also looking to launch a tool where employees are able to complete a profile and um, go in and look for mentors or mentees. And we will be having lots of training and tools to ensure that our colleagues have successful mentoring relationships.
0: I love it. And just for those tracking along outside Jen is Jen Gottlieb, who's our president, global president of W2O. Uh, and I'm thrilled to hear all of those things are happening and not surprised. I have a question for you. And it's going to be a little bit of an uncomfortable question for people like me in particular. And that is over the last couple of years, particularly last summer with George Floyd and all of the um, the protests and the uh, it, you know outcry around Black Lives Matter. I think a lot of us, particularly those of us who are white and of privilege, really woke up. And I remember... I went out and protested on um, Juneteenth and that was a very, with my 13-year-old daughter. And it was a very powerful day for me. And over the last several months, I've really, I tried to take what I think was a pretty good base and I've really worked to learn more and make myself a better person. But one of the things that I always grapple with and one of our colleagues, Abby Hayes, is, has talked to me a bit about this, is I think it's, there are a lot of people that look like me and feel like me that are like, I want to help people of color or other, you know, people that are diverse within the organization, but Mm -hmm. like what, you know, would they feel comfortable with me? Like, doesn't it need to be another black person or another, you know, person of, um, who's more diverse and, and they don't really know where to start or where they don't feel comfortable with that. So, you know, how do we, unpack that uncomfortable topic and conversation and get started there. So, you know, I think there is more of that allyship and mentorship that happens. And, you know, Mm -hmm. since we don't have necessarily enough diverse leaders here, we're working on that. Um, There's a dearth of people to mentor some of the great younger talent that we've got within the organization. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, absolutely. And, And I think that's a really great question. So what I think, um, that you need to do, which it sounds as if you're doing, is to acknowledge that you have privilege, right? Acknowledge that you have privilege and then educate yourself about the the history of the racial injustices that's happening, that has happened in this country. Um, and then in addition to that, just talk to your colleagues. I'm pretty sure that if you were, to talk to Abby or myself or someone else of color, or a black woman or a black male, they will be very open to talking to you because you're being honest, you wanna learn and you want to become an ally. So I really think that, you know, acknowledge your privilege, learn, be open to learn and just be honest and, and, and talk to your colleagues, you know. Okay.
0: That's great advice. So thank you. And hopefully that's helpful to other people out there. Um, I, I have heard people acknowledge their privilege and I feel like it's a very powerful thing. It feels weird to say at first, but it, it feels like it's it helps. You know, it's like sitting down at one of those AA meetings where, and not that I've gone, but you see them in movies where, you know, people say, my name's Aaron Stroud and I'm an alcoholic, right? And it's that first piece of getting over the uncomfortableness that then you can move into the real dialogue. I do want to shift gears a little bit. Um, this is something that is related, but it's very personal to you. And I always like to touch on anybody that's ever written a book. I know how much effort that is. I wrote a dummy's book, which wasn't nearly as hard, but I love the concept of it. And it's a book called Finally Read. I believe Read is one of, is it your maiden name or your... That's
1: my maiden name. Maiden name okay. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: And the premise is, and correct me if I'm... Um, getting this wrong, but a girl from the poor rural hills of Jamaica, you were from Jamaica. So I'm going to guess that that girl might be you dealing Uh with epilepsy, moved to New York city and didn't realize her husband was having tort affairs and involved with illegal drug trafficking. So like, that's a kind of a crazy, you know, way to start off. And then it's a story of personal discovery through various challenges that helped her grow along the way. So I'll start with the premise of, does this, you know, look exactly like you, is this parts of you or, and that's
1: me. And
0: uh, what inspired you to write the book?
1: Wow. So um, when I decided to go back to further my education after I became a single mother, um, I went to a community college in New York, Borough of Manhattan Community College. And um, I remember I went to get my um, grades from one of my professors. And in talking to him, you know, he said to me, Um, why are you just coming for for your grades, you know, and I explained to him some struggles that i had been through. And, you know, I had to take time off and because I'd gotten pregnant and so on. And when I told him the story with my husband and everything, he said to me, you need to write a book so that you can share your challenge, the challenges that you've gone through and how you're overcoming them. And at the time, I'm like, no way I can't write a book I haven't accomplished anything to write a book and he gave me some really great advice and um, because of him I actually ended up at NYU because you know he said to me at your age you know you're older and you have great grades you should be looking at Ivy League schools and I was like I can't afford Ivy League schools but he said you can get scholarships I did get a scholarship and ended up at NYU, but I wasn't able to take the scholarship because um, that meant I would go to school full time during the day. And I couldn't do that because I had too many responsibilities. So I ended up um, going to another school at NYU while I was working full time and going to school, going to work full time. But anyway, that's a long way of saying that um, he told me to write a book and eventually after finishing Columbia and, you know, getting promoted, I decided, you know what, I think I've accomplished enough to be able to write a book to help other people. That was a long way of (laughs) responding. But you
0: know what, I, I actually, that's part of the beauty is like, I love the story around the story. And I guess the second question I'll ask you is a follow up to that is, and it's always telling, you know, would you write another one now that you've gone through and put your sort of soul and all that time and effort into writing your first book?
1: Uh, You know, I would. You know, writing that first one was very therapeutic for me. You know, um, it really helped me to not only forgive my father, my ex-husband, but also myself. And I have seen the impact on other people who've read my book. I'm constantly getting um, feedback. You know, people are telling me because of my book they have completed their degree. Because of my book, they have done this, and I've, and people are constantly asking me when is the next book. So I would at some point.
0: I like it well, and I can imagine. I know, like I said, I wrote a dummies book and. I wouldn't say that was therapeutic. It did teach me how hard it is to write a book. And I think I could do another one that's going to be more personal, but you know, there is a catharsis in writing and Mm -hmm. I have done quite a bit of writing in my day. And especially when you can feel the flow, I don't know if you ever experienced that. I would assume so Mm -hmm. for those that haven't, it's this other sort of like worldly feeling where you're sort of not yourself and these words come out of you And then you read it afterwards, you're like, wow, that's actually pretty good. And I I can't imagine I wrote that because I could never write something that good. And I don't even really remember all of those things. So um, it sounds like the way you're reacting that, yes, you know exactly what that feeling is.
1: Exactly.
0: I do want to shift gears and get into our final two questions, just to be respectful of time. Um, These are questions that I ask everyone. The first is, if you could have any wish, doesn't matter what it is, what would it be and why?
1: Wow. I think given the time that we're in now, I think my wish would be that we would see each other as human beings as opposed to looking at the the color of our skin, you know. Um, That would be my wish, you know, that we have look at each other as human beings, as sisters and brothers, and um, just be really sympathetic with each other.
0: that's a profound answer. And I think I couldn't agree more. And during this time where we know there's a lot of healing that needs to take place Mm -hmm. beyond even race, right? Like we we've gotten to a place where people hate each other or yelling at each other for no reason other than, you know, politics, tribes. Right. And Mm -hmm. obviously race plays a role in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like that a lot, Marcia. That's a very thoughtful and and empathetic wish Mm -hmm. a little more playful I'm assuming a little more playful, um, Mm -hmm. is my, you know, my frivolous question. But I always love to hear people's answers. And that is around music and what Uh inspires them. I always like to ask if you are on a theoretical um, deserted island and you could take one album with you. Don't worry about how you play the music. Which Mm -hmm. album would you pick and why? Hmm.
1: Being from Jamaica, Bob Marley is one of my favorite (laughs) artists. So it would be one of his albums and the one that contains the song one love Let's
0: one of my two or together. three favorite Bob Marley albums oh yeah. so so good yeah
1: feel all right
0: feel all right well that's a perfect way to end this uh this is Aaron Strout CMO W2O host of the what to know podcast show we've just had the pleasure of listening to Marcia Windrose who is our new head of diversity equity inclusion author Lovely person, smart, charming. Marcia, thank you so much for joining
1: us. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash Know.